You are listening to episode 39 of the Happy Outdoor Families podcast. And today I am so excited to share an interview with Rachel Tidd, where we talk at length about learning outside, how simple it can be, and how beneficial. Rachel has experience in both classroom and homeschool environments and is a curriculum writer, creating resources for parents and educators who want to understand how to teach important math and reading concepts in an outdoor setting. We are settling into a new school routine for my oldest and getting organized to start the homeschool year for my middle daughter. And this conversation just refreshed me and got me excited to jump in and reminded me of how much we get out of our outdoor time. I am so excited for you to hear what Rachel has to share. And just a quick heads up, this Wednesday's play invitation will be the 40th installment of this podcast and will mark the end of what I'm calling season one of Happy Outdoor Families. This just means that I'm taking a two-week break from the show to relax and really settle into our school routine. And then I'm going to be back with you the first week of September when I am very excited to share our outdoor homeschool plans for the year. Because this year we've got one foot in public school, like you heard me share about last week, and one in homeschool. In the meantime, I would love it so much if you would celebrate 40 episodes with me this week and share your favorite episode of Happy Outdoor Families so far. Share it with a friend or on social media or in a review of the show. Now, on to today's interview. Listen in. Welcome to Happy Outdoor Families, the podcast that encourages and equips families to spend more time exploring and playing together outside. I'm your host, Emily Eisenbarger, and I hope that as you listen in each week, you will feel inspired and excited about reconnecting your kids and yourselves with the outdoors. Each Monday, I will be bringing you a grown-up episode featuring conversations about all things outdoor play and adventure-related. Every Wednesday, make sure you tune in for an episode just for the kids to listen to with their grown-ups, where I will bring you a simple play invitation to get you started with some fun, open-ended outdoor play. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Rachel Tidd is the author of the Wild Math and Wild Reading Curriculums and a leading proponent of integrating the outdoors and natural materials in math education. She became interested in teaching and learning outside after watching her two children thrive in an outdoor forest preschool. Prior to founding Wild Learning, Rachel obtained extensive teaching experience as an elementary and special education teacher and as a homeschool parent. She holds a master's degree in elementary and special education and a BS in environmental science. She enjoys walks in nature, good books, handwork such as knitting and sewing, traveling, and strong coffee. I am excited to have Rachel on the show today to talk about learning outside and the resources that she's created. Rachel, welcome to Happy Outdoor Families. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. So to get started, I know we had a little bit of an introduction there, but can you share a little bit more about who you are and your background and your family? Sure. So I'm Rachel Tidd, and I'm the author of Wild Math and Wild Reading that just came out this year. We live just outside of Ithaca, New York, um, which is in upstate New York, 
it's very, we live in a pretty rural place. Um, we have lots of waterfalls and lakes that we like to explore here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two boys. They are 11 and 8 now. Um, when I started writing this, they were like pre-K, K, and uh, like second or third grade. Aww, so um, it's been life. really, if you look back, it, sometimes if you have earlier like the kindergarten or the first grade, you'll see pictures of my kids many years ago. So it's kind of fun to look back at those. So small world, I actually grew up, well, up until I was about six years old, I lived just outside of Ithaca. No way. That is a tiny town, Groton. Yes, I know where Groton is. Yep. Yes, but it's a beautiful area. I, I love that area of the country. Lots of snow in the winter, probably more than I would appreciate. But yes, we do so have pretty lots of snow. And I always <laughs> laugh when people message me or ask me about, what do you do? What should I do in the winter? You know, like, you can't do this all the time. I'm like, well, we get like 100 inches, 80 to 100 inches right. of snow a year. <laughs> and it's really, really cold. And we live like kind of up on the hills. So we get even more. And um yeah, I'm like, well, we managed to do it and go outside every day. So <laughs> I'm not too worried. I think you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, good for you. I know it, it depends a lot on, I think, what you're used to. Like here in Middle Tennessee, oh, man. Oh, for Everything sure. shuts down. <laughs> oh, for sure. But then it's like <laughs> exciting, snow. too, for kids yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It is kind yeah. of fun because it's like, if oh, you're guaranteed a snow day. If there is snow on the ground, like everything's shut down you're playing at home right I don't (laughs) mind the fun of a good snowstorm it's like about February March sometimes April and it's Mm -hmm. still here and the (laughs) snowpack is really high and we can't get up our driveway it's really exciting yes yeah so I have wild math kindergarten and we've used that I got it Kind of when my daughter was finishing kindergarten, so we didn't get to use it a whole lot with my oldest, but my second child is starting kindergarten this year, so I'm excited to get to use that a little bit. Um, And so you've kind of termed your curriculum's wild learning. So I'm curious what that term means to you, and can you share a little bit about the creation of these curriculums? Sure. So wild learning um, was really how we merged the two curriculum subjects. So I started out with wild math, and I did um, K through five um, levels for wild math. And then I decided to also do reading. Um, so I could no longer be wild math curriculum because that was my website. Um, I had to figure out something to combine the two. So mm-hmm. we came up with wild learning to kind of encompass um, any outdoor learning. And particularly, I kind of like to translate um academics, like typical academics that would probably be in a school or um, like a workbook. And I translate them kind of into an outdoor hands-on activities. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of my style. Um, So I kind of got started down this road when my youngest, who's now eight, was in forest preschool. Um, He had a lot of sensory issues and some other things going on. And we were having him evaluated by the county or the school district. And um, when we came to time to have the teachers fill out, teachers fill out like rating scales, um, um, things that they see, they kind of looked at me like I was insane. They're like, what do you mean? We don't have any problems with tarot at 
um, Forest Preschool. He's doing fine, you know, like, and I'm like, how can that be? Like, it's so difficult at home. Um, and so it, you know, we dug into it, we did the evaluation, um, and he did qualify for services, but what we figured out with the occupational therapist is that at Forest Preschool, all of his sensory needs were being met. And so it was like a real optimum learning environment for him. And so I knew kind of at that point that, you know, he was in his final year there, um, that if I was going to homeschool him, which we were, um, because his oldest brother was already being homeschooled, lucky him, um, Mm -hmm. we were going to have to figure out a way to to teach him at home. And he's a very different learner than his older brother. So I started looking for things online, like, well, could you continue this forest um, preschool thing into elementary level, right? There was just hardly anything, you know, like a few lessons here and there, science or like nature study, yes, but teaching math, teaching reading, there wasn't anything. Um, And so I just started experimenting and I had a friend at the time say, Rachel, you need to write this down. And I was like, no, 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 no one one wants to see this. (laughs) This is just, I'm just playing around. I don't know. We're just, you know, doing stuff, doing my thing. And she's like, no, you really should write this down. And so I did. um, And it looked a lot different (laughs) those first days, (laughs) Um, but it slowly took off. Um, So yeah, that's how wild learning started. That is such a cool story. And I love how you saw that need that your son had and you were able to adapt to meet that need. So that's really awesome. It turned into a whole, whole new thing. It's it's kind of crazy how it started like that. So when you think about, so I know with your son, he had that specific sensory need Mm -hmm. that was really met more easily while he was outside. And I see that a lot with kids. I think it's really easy to get sensory input in the way that you need and that you want when you're outside because right. there's a lot of opportunity for sensory experiences, but you can also – you can kind of self-regulate that when you're outside so that you can kind of back off or step more into it and get exactly what you need, which I think is well, an awesome aspect of being outside. Yeah, and I feel like part of it is that, you know, outside things are more – different things are more acceptable than they are when you're inside. It's okay to be louder. It's okay to be moving usually, right? It's okay to be touching things, um, right? It's very, when you're in a classroom, it can be very controlled. Don't touch this. Don't do that. Don't go over here. Don't walk over there. Um, And then the forest preschool environment, right? You can cover yourself in mud. You can jump on the ice in the creek, you you know, like all kinds of things, all kinds of movement. Um, and he was very sensory seeking. So that was a really big thing. Um, the other thing is when, as soon as you go outside, it's kind of already a multi-sensory experience. So mm-hmm. you're already feeling the sun, feeling the temperature. Um, there's different colors. Green is a very soothing com- color. There's smells, there's tastes, all of those things. It already, it's like instantly becoming like a multi-sensory environment, right? Compared to our inside lives. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, definitely. And so beyond, beyond just the sensory components, I wonder, are there other things that you think make the outdoors a really good place for learning and for teaching? Yes. So there has been some research on this and it's, it's kind of 
Amazing. So we know that um, the outdoors reduces stress levels. We know that um, through some studies that it increases um, children's engagement in lessons. It increases their attention. All these things are things we want, right? We're always trying to do. And it find they found that um, if you just even change the location of your lessons, so say you were just a regular teacher or a homeschooler and whatever you were planning, even if it was just a read aloud and you took it outside and you did the read aloud outside, great, you got all of those benefits that I just said, the attention, the engagement, everything. Motivation also increases. And then you went back inside and did a social studies lesson. The, those increases in attention, motivation, um, engagement all stay through the next lesson. So they've actually seen that in a study. So you get like a two for one with just, just changing your location. So you don't even have to do anything particularly special. Like you could do the exact same mm -hmm. thing you're doing and just go outside, but you can get, not only do you increase all of those things during that one lesson, but you also, it carries on to the next. So it's kind of a cool, I love the idea of two for one. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. And I always love hearing about this research and the things that I've found when it comes to um, time outside, whether it's learning or playing, because it feels so validating to me. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I see with my kids. And this is why we go outside. And it just feels good to see other people kind of proving it. Right? I know. <laughs> like, yes, I know. benefits really are there. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. It's so good to see. And it's so good to see that there's like a interest in it and that, you know, researchers are kind of like getting into it um, and, you know, kind of finally proving what all of us have been kind of saying and thinking this whole time. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. So for those that are more accustomed to that traditional paper and pencil approach to school and specifically like math and reading instruction, do you have any advice for giving the outdoors a try for the first time? Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, and I will say that I am not a fancy homeschooler. <laughs> I like really simple things. Um, mm -hmm. And I do a lot of DIY things. But um, I always suggest starting really small by either, you know, just maybe do your workbook problems outside with chalk. Um, yeah. or use, collect the natural materials beforehand and then use those to add with or subtract with or multiply with. Um, that Those can be really simple, but really special to kids that aren't used to it. Like, especially if it's new, like my kids might be like, really mom? Because that's all, they live and breathe <laughs> it all the time. But if you're, if that's not something you do very often, that can be really like a really fun experience for kids and, and they'll remember it too. And it might motivate you to do more, you know, but yeah, that's my suggestion. And you can also, I always tell people that you can take your math materials or your reading materials or your plastic letters, which I have, um, and mm. you can take those outside. You can take a board game outside. You can take all of these things outside. There's no reason that our toys or blocks or any of these things have to stay inside. We can take them outside. They can take it. So. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It goes back to what you were saying before, you really don't have to even change anything right. to start to really benefit from taking that learning outside. Like, sure, just take the materials you were using at the desk and just do it out, you know, on right. the patio right. or at the pavilion. So that's great. 
But what about for families or teachers who don't really have a lot of outdoor space? Or maybe they live in a more urban environment where they don't have as much access to like big green grassy spaces. Right. Um, Do you think that there's a way to still take learning outside to use wild math and wild reading if you don't have a lot of outdoor space? I absolutely do. I student taught in New York City and I taught there for a little while. So I'm definitely familiar with the whole urban environment. And I find that there's a lot of nature and places to get outside in the city if you just look a little bit. And there's a lot of things in wild math that you can, you almost have to do in a town or a city. Like if I want to do them, I have to go to town because things like geometry walks where you're looking for different shapes like circles and hexagons and you can find them in nature, but I often say do one in nature, like a natural area, and then do one in a more like a city or a town and compare them. Um, Because so that's fun. We also do a lot of number walks. So you're taking a walk in the neighborhood and you're finding all the odd numbers or you're taking a walk through town and you're looking for decimals or you're rounding all the numbers to the nearest 10. There aren't any numbers. There's like a few numbers on my street and that's about it. Uh So to get a really meaningful walk-in with some variety, I would have to go to town. But that's kind of fun too because that's special for us. Um, You know, we also don't have pavement at my house or a driveway. We have stone. So we ride on our deck. But um, in a city, you have pavement, you have stoops, you have, you know, steps, you have a lot more surfaces that you can write on than we do. I often yeah. use, you'll see if you, people follow me, I often, my kids are using chalkboards outside because we just only have the deck to write on. Um, yeah. And so if we want to go anywhere else and we want to use chalk, we kind of use a chalkboard. So there's pros and cons to both. And um, it's kind of nice if you can mix it up. Um, in the city too, you can go a lot of, there's a lot of natural places like a subway or a bus ride away. And then there's pocket parks, which I love. Um, There's those little parks and you can just find a little bit of nature. And those can be kind of fun um, to seek out as well as botanical gardens. Museums often have little nature areas. Um, Zoos can be a fun place to uh, look for math. You know, you can talk to the zookeeper and how much food do they make eat? How much food is that in a month? You know, how many pounds, oh, how yeah. many ounces or whatever? How much do they weigh? There's like a ton of math at places like that. So subways too. What time do the trains come? You know, how often? How many minutes between? How many cars are there? You know, all kinds of stuff. There's so much. Yeah. And so much of that is just learning through real life experience. Right. And I think when kids can see the application of, even if it's just numbers, that can stick with them a little bit more. Do you think that's true? Oh, absolutely. Um, anything that we can make more concrete and uh, relate to the real world absolutely sticks much better. They even I even have seen some studies, although I was looking around the other day and I couldn't find it again, but saying that if you're using real natural materials instead of like the plastic manipulatives that we often use for math, that those are more yeah. concrete and they actually, students retain it better. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So that's, you know, an interesting idea. I mean, I guess if I think about that just kind of anecdotally, like I kind of like the feeling of like rock or sticks more than like a plastic cube. I couldn't really say why, but you know, it's like a little bit more of a tactile experience to have those natural materials. 
For sure. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. They're more variety if they're all plastic too. There's more variety. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely true. So I have a lot of homeschooling families that listen to this podcast as well as public school families. And we are actually doing both this year. So we've got one child who's in public school for the first time. And then uh, my younger daughter who is starting homeschooling this year in kindergarten. So I've kind of got my mind in both worlds thinking about what we're doing for this year and what I can kind of put in her teacher's ear at school. um, Do you think that wild learning has a place both at home and in a public school setting? Uh, Absolutely, because I have quite a few schools that have bought wild math, especially. Um, It's been out longer. (laughs) Wild reading just came out in June. So um, yeah, so there's quite a few schools out there that are doing wild math, um, teachers that are interested in it. Um, So I know it does happen. It just takes a little more initiative. Um, I did work pretty hard on the wild math to make sure that it matched up with um, the typical skills that are in each grade level per Common Core. I wouldn't say it's Common Core is just a set of um, standards of things that we want kids to do. How we implement those in the States is often where it gets a little crazy um, and Mm -hmm. where people get really opinionated about that. So we we do want kids to be able to multiply and how we multiply. Um, So I made sure that all of those were in wild math for the correct grades so that it would match up to just about any math curriculum, um, you know, unit by unit, maybe not in the same order, but um, so it's pretty easy to say, say your kid came home with a multiplication worksheet and you were like, instead of doing it on the worksheet, let's go outside or it's like a beautiful day. I can't believe we're sitting here doing homework. Um, you could absolutely open up Wild Math, pick a, a multiplication exercise activity and do that instead. And I would just mm-hmm. like write your teacher a note and say, we did this X, Y, and Z instead. And I, if I got that as a teacher, I would be uh, like so excited. <laughs> like that was, that's awesome. Um, you know, I know my experience as a teacher, I was required to give homework, not that I wanted to give homework. Mm. So um, think about that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I love that idea. And that is not something that I had thought about. So I am definitely going to be using that this year with my daughter. Actually, she hasn't really had homework. This is our first week. So right. she hasn't had homework yet. I have no idea what that's going to look like later right. in the year. But that is, that's an awesome idea because I know I've got on my mind a lot um, how we're going to still get to play outside a lot this year and how we're going to get to spend that time, especially when the weather is beautiful. Yes. And- we don't want to sit inside with a worksheet. So no. I love that. That's a great idea. Yeah. I, it's an easy way to do it for sure. Just snap yeah. a picture in case you need to prove, in case there the principal go. calls you. <laughs> right. So if parents wanted to encourage teachers to implement more learning outside, mm-hmm. would, it, would this be something that they could purchase for a classroom or does it work differently to be able to use it in a school? Do you need like a special version or a special license to be able to use these materials for a classroom? That's a good question. So I have had parents purchase um, Wild Math to give to their teachers as like a gift, yeah. which was a int- cool idea, I thought. And if you do that, that's fine. What you can't do with the digital copyright is you can't make copies 
Um, you can't gotcha. get a digital download, keep it for yourself, and then send the teacher the same digital download, like only pay once. Then you're violating copyright law. Digital copyrights are very different than physical books. So it's a little weird like that. Um, yeah. So if you wanted, you could absolutely buy one for your school or have your school buy one, but they have to buy one for each individual teacher. They cannot buy one license and, and then put it on the copier it. and get, make 10 copies for all the teachers, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah. to implement it, it isn't that much different. Um, it's not that different. It's more about managing multiple students, right? So you're going to be doing these activities in groups as opposed to one-on-one or one-on-two as a homeschooler. So, but, you know, that's what teachers do. They're very good at translating that kind of um, thing. So I don't think that that's a big hurdle um, for a teacher to do. What are some of the top tools or, you know, loose parts or supplies that you have found helpful when teaching outdoors? So absolutely natural materials. And when I say that, I say whatever natural materials are local to you. So I take pictures um, with Eastern New York natural materials. So there's a lot of pine cones. There's a lot of acorns. There's a lot of rocks, um, you know, that kind of thing. There's a lot of flowers in the summer and sticks in the winter, brown things. But I've had people get very upset that they don't have those things where they live. And, but I say to them, what do you have? And they end up having all kinds of interesting things. Um, gum trees in Australia have these really cool seeds. Um, you know, there's just all kinds of different things. And if you're really stuck, I've had a few people contact me and they live in the desert. You can buy oh, yeah. some of these things like or substitute. It really doesn't matter what it is. You can use beans. You can use popsicle sticks if you don't have sticks. Um, so if, you know, or we had some people too affected by the wildfires last year in particular, oh, yeah. and they were in a hotel room and they sent me pictures of them just using like stuff in the hotel room because they <laughs> couldn't go outside, right? It was absolutely dangerous. Um, But they kept going, and I thought that was just amazing. So natural materials of whatever you have, even if that's hotel stuff, number one. Number two, chalk. I love chalk. It's so versatile. You can do anything, any math with chalk. Um, You can always do your math problems just with chalk. You can do all kinds of games with it, hopscotch. We do all kinds of things. There's lots of ideas in wild math. I really like plastic numbers or wooden numbers. I kind of like plastic because they're a little more waterproof. If you live in a wet place like we do, things get kind of moldy. Um, So plastic can be your friend. Um, Or if they get snowy, see, then they also get wet. So we have that issue. Oh, yeah. So I like plastic numbers and plastic letters for reading. Measuring tapes, the really long, like flexible kind, like maybe that you'd use for sewing, not necessarily for building. Um, I love those because they're light and they don't take up a lot of space. And so I like to put chalk a measuring tape, maybe a Sharpie, a pencil, some note cards, all in like a little Ziploc bag. And I throw it in my like hiking pack or my day bag. So we have some math materials wherever we go. Cause it seems like math, that kind of thing can just like pop up. Like we'll be walking around and be like, whoa, look at this huge tree. And then the kids will be like, I wonder how old it is. Or I wonder how big around it is. And when you actually have a measuring tape and you can like just measure it on the fly. Like it's so exciting and more meaningful than if you're like, let's go outside and find a tree to measure. Um, (laughs) You know, 
And then we were always yeah. like to take natural materials if there's a lot of them, like seashells or whatever, home. And then we have those to use too. I also like things that encourage math play. So I like um, scales, like a balance pan scale to put out in like a mud kitchen with some natural materials. Kids will oh, are yeah. naturally drawn to it and all of a sudden start estimating and comparing and experimenting. Um, cash registers, believe it or not, like play cash registers put outside in like a kitchen area or even just like an area with some natural materials always, always inspires some kind of store play, farmer's market, restaurant, something, which usually leads, especially to a little bit older kids, um, start getting really into money. And so they want to yeah. make their own money. And so they can do that with paper or they can do that with leaves or they can do bartering. And so all of a sudden there's all this math language that's going on. And then the other thing I really like to do is go to thrift stores and get cake pans. So I love cake pans and I use them in almost every year of wild math for fractions, especially. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So in the fifth grade, we even teach multiplying and dividing fractions and common denominators with cake pans of mud or sand or whatever snow. You can even put snow in them. Um, so that's really exciting. And then you can do other things like with toppings on the cake or the pizza and add and subtract them or make like one third pepperoni. And, you know, you can really get creative with them. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about wild reading mm. before we wrap up because I'm more familiar with wild math and wild reading I know is still very new. very new. And I was very excited when I heard that that was going to be coming out. So can you tell us just a little bit about what that program is like? Sure. And what, do, what does it cover? You know, who is it for? Yeah. So wild reading is for those children who are just starting out in, to read. So they're ready to start blending words. They usually know most of their letters. It's okay if they don't know them all. And I, when I say letters, I don't mean the names. I do mean the sounds. Um, so the names don't really help us. And singing the ABCs don't really help us learn to read. But knowing the sounds help us learn to read. So yeah. wild reading is what I call a structured reading program. It follows the science of reading and how our brains learn to read. So it is pretty phonics based and it has a ton of phonological awareness built in because you can't learn to read and become an efficient reader without good phonological awareness. And there's been a lot of debate about that whole phonics versus whole language. And especially among homeschoolers, I know it's always a hot debate. And, you know, we get a lot of, well, my kid learned to read just all by themselves, or they eventually will learn to read. And if you really dig into the science and the data, you find that, yes, 40% of students will learn to read, about 30 or 40, all on their own with little or no instruction. And that's great. And that's why we hear this, oh, well, my kid just learned to read. And I actually have one of those children. I have one of Interesting. both. Interesting. So 60% of students actually do need some explicit phonics instruction um, in a sequential order that's very planned out so that they're building on those sounds that they know they're building on. And I, I use word families as a way to bridge the gap while kids are building that phonological awareness, which is the hearing of the specific sounds and yeah. um, in your brain. 
And that actually develops all the way up to third grade. So using word families can kind of help bridge the gap of while you're kind of give some scaffolding to support them while they're still forming that phonological awareness. Um, so I use word families. But wild reading follows a storyline. So each week you hear another adventure of Matilda the mouse and she introduces the letter sound of the week and that forms the theme of the week. And there's sight words and a word family starting, the word families start after the letter A is introduced in week six. And you do lots of like outdoor activities. And I tried to work hard to make sure the activities could be done indoors or out. Um, so there's mm-hmm. more flexibility because to do, if you're doing both wild reading and wild math, it might not always be possible to do that all outside. And there's also a ton of enrichment activities. So those follow the letter theme. So for like M, there's stuff on monarchs and moths. And so you can really take it and it can be quite uh, immersive, kind of other, cover a lot of other subjects too. There's read-alouds, there's listening comprehension. There's just a lot going on. It's a really, really big curriculum. If you have wild math, um, it's about four times bigger. It's 400 plus pages. Um, It's huge. Uh, Most of the feedback I get are like, wow, this was way more than I expected. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a really big, I tried to make it really comprehensive and I really did a lot of research and used my background as a special ed teacher, but also as a homeschooler and pulling from all the things that I really love, like Montessori and Waldorf and hands-on stuff that I know that works and put it all together. <laughs> so it got kind yeah. of big, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's good. So it's, it's really good for those 60%. The best thing about teaching in a in that way, which is super hands-on and structured and has some the phonics built in, is that the studies show, even if your kid is in the 40% of kids that don't, would learn to read regardless of the method, that teaching in that way actually supports them and that they become better readers too. So it's kind of a win-win. I actually have one of each. So I have a really, really good early reader. He was, you know, read on his own. And then I have my youngest has dyslexia. So it's kind of like... I can see both spec, you know, both ends of that uh, argument. Well, it sounds amazing. I am really excited to go check it out. Yeah. I'm like, we're still kind of figuring out our year. So I'm like, hmm, maybe we'll need to make some changes yeah. <laughs> and add this one in. So it kind of takes kids from, you said it's kind of geared toward a kid who knows a lot of their letter yeah. sounds and then it takes them through being able to, to read, read short, pretty fluently. Yeah, so read short vowels, um, digraphs like sh, you know, sh, yeah. um, uh, blends like bl, and a couple other skills. And that, that use, that'll take you up until the beginning of first grade. Um, it might, depending, I mean, they always, you know, kindergarten has really changed. So oh, it's yeah. not what we remember. And they really want kids reading at least short vowels by the end of kindergarten. Not everybody makes it. It's a, it's early developmentally. Um, so if yes. you're homeschool, that's why it has an age range on it. Because when you choose to have your child learn to read can really vary with your philosophy. So, yeah, well, um, yeah. Or you may have like kind of waited to see if they picked it up and they didn't. And now they're seven. So you're like, oh, let's try something a little bit, you know little more explicit instruction. Um, so that's why there's that range. But yeah, so I say that they should know some, most of their sounds um, 
because it's it, it moves along. There's quite a bit, you know, after week six, you're throwing in word families and set more sight words. And so it's really building. You can go slower. Yeah. And then if your kid doesn't know any of the sounds, I do talk about what you might want to do in the beginning of wild reading. Um, I say you could go through the whole thing and just skip all of the word families and just focus on the story, the letter sound and writing the letters and do some enrichment Mm -hmm. and then repeat the whole thing the next year. The kids will not mind hearing the story again. Kids love things repetitively and they won't really remember all of it. Um, And then do the reading. So you can, you can do that too. If you get into it and be like, wow, this is just moving too fast for my little one. And he's just not there yet. And that's fine. Everyone isn't always ready for reading at five or even six. So um, it's kind of got that built in. And if you're curious about the science of reading, and that was very confusing and too fast, what I said, there is a whole chapter (laughs) that I spent way too long writing in the beginning of wild (laughs) reading. It was like the hardest chapter to write because it was so much more just so different than the rest of it. Like it was just very like scientific and trying to make it understandable. So it was hard, but it's in there. So if you're curious about how the brain learns to read and why I wrote it the way I did, it's all in there. I love that you include that so that that explanation is in there because I'm totally someone who would love to read that. Yeah. Well, I (laughs) think it's important to know the why behind why you're doing certain things because if you don't know the why, you might be tempted to be like, well, this is, I don't want to do this. This is a waste of my time. But if you see why I put, you know, these phonological awareness, um, oral exercises at the end of every chapter on a Friday, you know, and you know why and how that's going to help your child's brain. And it only takes a few minutes, then you're more likely to do it. Um, yeah, you know, and you just, it's, it's fun to learn how the brain works and how that it's really, it was really fascinating. I mean, I have a master's degree and in special ed and general ed, and I definitely learned a lot um, myself doing the research for it. So there's a lot of interesting new things out there now. Yeah. Well, I am excited to go check that out and I'm sure other people will be too. Um, and just, I thank you for creating these awesome resources and creating more support for parents to be able to take learning outside in easy ways and to not have to, you know, reinvent the wheel because I think that's, it's just awesome. Well, thank you. Um, so, Rachel, I want to wrap up with one more question that I like to ask guests who come on the show, which is, what is your favorite way to spend time outside? My favorite way to get outside on a regular basis is either taking a walk by myself. <laughs> um, nice. And I just down the road, like nowhere exciting, but just by myself. Um, or hanging out with a bunch of homeschool friends by the lake on a nice warm day like we did last week. It's just really fun to hang out and chat with other moms and the kids are playing and we're swimming and it's it's just fabulous. That's my favorite way to hang out outside. That sounds <laughs> lovely. And I always love hearing those answers and it makes me want to go spend time outside. Right. <laughs> so – Thank you so much again, Rachel, for being here. And if people want to learn more about wild learning and see what you're doing, 
where can they find you? So I, my website is discoverwildlearning.com. And I have, I am very active on Instagram and Facebook. And my handles are at discoverwildlearning. And we are currently having a back-to-home school sale. So you can get 15% off of all of the curriculums with the code new school year, no spaces, all lowercase. So new school year, all one word. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Rachel is so knowledgeable, and I am just in love with what she has created and put out into the world. I am so glad that she was able to come on the show today, and I hope that you felt inspired and learned something new. Some of the big points from this episode for me were being outside is an excellent classroom environment. The outdoors in all its varying forms provide an incredibly sensory-rich experience and allow for more freedom to move and experience things through our five senses than would typically be possible in a classroom or other indoor setting. Research shows that time spent outside improves focus and cognition among other benefits, and that those benefits carry over through multiple activities. So when you do one lesson outside, you will continue to see those improvements even as you move back into indoor learning for your next lesson. Taking learning outside can be as simple as picking up the books and pencils and moving them to the other side of the door. You don't have to have a special activity or lesson plan. Just literally take your stuff outside and give it a try. But if you do want to more fully commit to regular, consistent learning outside utilizing natural materials, you definitely want to check out Wild Math and Wild Reading. And I will definitely be sharing more of the ways that we are using those throughout the year. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you have young kids, I hope you'll join me again on Wednesday for another play invitation. And just one more quick reminder that after that, I will be taking a two-week break from the show and we'll be back with you starting in September. As always, I appreciate it so much when you share this podcast with friends or on social media and when you're willing to leave a rating and review. If you haven't done so already, it just takes a minute in whatever app you're listening to this podcast in. If you want to connect with me further and see more of what we are doing throughout the week, the best place to connect is over on Instagram where you can find me at Happy Outdoor Families. And I do love to see the way that you and your kids are getting out and playing and adventuring together. So please, if you're sharing pictures of your outdoor time, be sure to tag me at Happy Outdoor Families so that I can celebrate with you and share that. I hope that you have had an amazing summer and are feeling great about this back to school season. Enjoy your week, enjoy your outdoor spaces, and until next time, I will see you outside. <laughs>